You are listening to the Chef John Podcast. I'm Andrew Scrivani. And I'm Chef John, the cayenne in the spice rack. Well, John, we're back. Do you hear that? What's that? It's the wind whistling through the podcast because it is a couple of weeks before Halloween and this is our Halloween episode. So it's a little spooky. That is so weird. I thought I heard a creaking shutter uh, and we have no shutters. We don't even have shades. See? This is what happens. This is what happens when you get to late October. It starts to get creepy. It starts to get really weird and really creepy. All right, stop it. You're, you're, you're getting me actually scared. All right, well, just hold on because we got a long way to go tonight. There's a lot of, lot of creepy stories, a lot of scary stories that we're going to tell. And a lot of it revolves around the idea that, you know, we have either been engaged in cooking, eating, traveling, like all of the stuff like around our careers, which has led us to, you know, you know, some scary stuff. I mean, I, I went on a little bit of a food tour one time. And I landed in Kingman, Arizona, which was scary enough. And I happened to be in a haunted hotel. I didn't sense anything. I didn't feel creepy about it. I didn't feel like the wind whistling through the windows when there was no wind. But apparently my daughter said that she experienced the ghost when she was there. So I, um, I think I might believe in a little bit of creepy stories and a little bit of scary stories. And I'm certainly kind of frightened when I'm in the kitchen cooking at times, <laughs> but, <laughs> but I think, you know, uh, I think we should tell some scary stories today because it's, you know, we're, this is our last episode before Halloween. Yes. Well, yeah, the timing's perfect. Um, and it's funny, speaking of ghost stories, uh, I, I went to a, a food writer get together in, Norfolk, Virginia, of all places, they have a food and wine festival, fairly, <clears throat> fairly well known in those parts. Anyway, and you've been to these kind of uh, these gatherings and there's always, you know, the dinners, the food and wines and the gala tastings and so forth. But then they try to entertain you in your off time. And there's usually some local tours. Maybe you go see a, a historical whatever. Uh, and that, you know, that tends to be some of the more fun parts of these trips. Right. So I see on the itinerary, we have a tour of all the haunted houses of Norfolk, mm. uh, a ghost tour of the town, which normally would not interest me that much, except I notice in the fine print, we're going to be doing it on a Segway, which at that time were just, was just cutting edge technology. And I'd never ridden one before, and I was really excited. So I'm just going on this thing so I can ride a Segway. Totally honest. <laughs> That's the funniest thing, though. You know, when you go to, into a town that has like a touristy presence and all of a sudden the Segway tour comes through your comes through in front of you, you're just sort of looking at it. And there's like all these tourists who come by on a Segway. It's pretty hysterical. And you always wish you were on one. Have you ever ridden one, by the way? I have not. I have not ridden a Segway. I do own a Vespa. Uh, me too. Still two wheels. But there's totally different when those two wheels are not behind you and in front of you, but directly underneath you. And there's a gyroscope making you not fall over, even if you try. It's so weird. I don't know that that worked for the owner, though, the owner of Segway, the guy who invented the Segway. It didn't it didn't work out for him. I don't think the gyroscope probably had anything to do with him going over a cliff and into a river. 
no. uh, which is apparently what happened. It's the unfortunate end of the guy who invented the Segway, yes. And now they say he haunts every Segway owner. Every Segway. Uh, no, that's not true. Uh, but anyway, so I'm, I'm going to go take this ghost tour because I just want to ride a Segway. I have no interest in looking at any houses since pretty sure they're not haunted. Uh, so we get to this thing. And I think we're going to show up, jump on a Segway, start riding around town. It's going to be great. But no, that's never how it happens. First, you have to fill out the paperwork, the disclaimers, the release forms, the this, the that. It says you're not going to drive over a cliff. And into if you a drive road. over a cliff and kill yourself <laughs> like the inventor, you cannot sue us. No, you can't. And then, of course, there's the get acquainted with your helmet. Uh Hold on a second. Does this go on my head? Like, yes, I, I'm familiar with a helmet, but you have to get instructions, chin strap, uh, gloves, boom, you got it. And then here's how the, the, uh, the, what is it called? There's a gauge on there that keeps you from going a certain speed. Really? Uh, you got to hear about that, which is very disappointing. I think I could handle over 50. It's miles like NASCAR. They have a governor on you. That's crazy. Yeah, it's, it's, it's worse than NASCAR. Um, Anyway, go through all that. It just took forever. I and mean, I'm thinking, when do we get to Segway? Uh, it was like the zip, zip line episode of South Park. Have anyone seen that? Exactly the same thing I was experiencing. So we finally, we finally get ready to do this thing. And we're turning in our whatever release form. And some woman that was in our group is like, hold on a second. This last line down here about blah, blah, blah indemnify the so-and-so and so forth thereafters. She's like, I'm not sure if I want to sign this. Do you mind if I call my husband? He's a, he's an attorney. I want to just get some clarification on this. And so the other eight or nine of us are like, is this lady kidding? Like we just went through all this. So anyway, we got to wait now because, you know, the, the PR person running the tour is not going to leave with one person there. So now we have to wait. And this thing took like 10, 15 minutes. She's on the phone to New York and she's reading it to him. And he's like explaining this. And then she's asking the manager questions. So this is like, this is getting scary for the wrong, the wrong reason. You're suffering from Segway uh, delayed gratification. Exactly. I want my Segway and I want it now. So long story short, 20 minutes later, she decides not to take a chance. She is scared of apparently crashing into someone being sued. And I think it was the deal she had to pay for their attorney if she lost the case, like so it was some stupid thing that no one would ever worry about. So finally, now we're off on this Segway tour and whatever speed it was that they maxed these things out at, I think they said 15 miles an hour was painfully slow. Now, don't get me wrong, super exciting and fun to do, but uh, not what we'd say like adrenaline, you know, adrenaline building. Um, so I'm like, okay, now I'm stuck actually on a ghost tour because the Segway part of this is not, you know, not doing it for me. Um, I've had more exciting walks. <laughs> so anyway, I'm like, all right, whatever. I'll pay attention to the ghost. This is going to be so frightening. Every time we would stop, the tour person leader would just point at the house and say, yeah, they say some people have said they've heard noises there. I'm wow. like, that's it. That's the, that's the, and we, yeah, so we get back up on our Segway and go down another four blocks. And then here's the famous so-and-so house. Someone said they heard someone that knew someone that might've heard something. <laughs> it's like, wow, that is terrifying. So imagine like 12 of these stops 
where there is nothing scary. You're not in the house, which would still not be scary, but some tour guide who's completely phoning it in and has just memorized a script is giving you super vague, like this place may or may not be haunted because someone may or may not have heard something back in the, you know, 19th century. And, and thus concluded the ghost tour segue ride around Norfolk, Virginia. Uh, and all I remember about it was nothing to do with the scaring. It was that woman that kept us, held us up for nothing. And then, it, and then didn't even go on the tour. Um, that I thought was frightening. Food writer event etiquette. You either sign that thing right away and you get your helmet instructions or you just bail instantly and don't make us all sit there waiting <laughs> and and having to listen to your conversation with your attorney husband in New York, which was like a conversation you don't want to overhear because it was not interesting at all. It sounds painful. It sounds really painful. Oh, speaking of pain, that reminded me of another uh, transportation related sort of food story, terrifying Halloween themed. Michelle and I had dinner one time in San Francisco and we're coming home fairly late. And I don't know if you knew, I used to have a scooter, mm-hmm. a little Yamaha mm-hmm. 125. Yep. Very, very powerful machine. When I first met you, you still had it. And uh, we're coming home. It's probably, you know, 10, 11 at night. Had a couple glasses of wine. And Michelle's in the back. And we pull up to a stoplight. And I hear this very loud uh, Harley, probably Harley motorcycle next to me slash behind me. In case anyone is uh, doing geo geo tags <laughs> on this. Where were we? We were on market. On Dolores. Okay. Market on making a left on Dolores. Okay. For all of you who have never been to San Francisco, that means nothing. But for me, as someone who has spent many, 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 many nights in San Francisco, it is clearly very important to know that. You're close to home. Yes. That's the scary part. So, hey, don't give my story away. So, and actually, I'm glad Michelle mentioned that light officially. Okay. that's a it's a really long light. It's just one of these left turn only, and you got to wait and wait. And then you can see the don't walk, walk pedestrian sign, and it starts counting down from like 30. And you're like, I got another half minute to go. Anyway, we're sitting there and I hear a super loud motorcycle pull up next to us. Uh, and I, I kind of turned around, it's like back a couple of feet from me, and it looks like about like a 70-year-old guy on this motorcycle. Um, just it was like a you know, uh a disconnect between what I thought I was going to see. Yeah, you thought you were going to see Henry Fonda in, in, in Easy Rider. Yeah, and I saw, what, just at first glance, an, an older gentleman. And he's kind of revving, and he's kind of trying to go around our scooter so he can get in front, so when the light changes, he can go first. But there's, like, really not enough room, so I'm kind of, like, annoyed that he is, like... So I'm like, take it easy, Grandpa. I just turn around, and, you know, I, I, get, a, I get a little ballsy after a couple of glasses of wine. <laughs> So I'm telling this guy to, you know, relax or chillax, as we used to say back then. Oh, yes. And all of a sudden, he's like, what did you say? And I look, and he's not 70. He's just a super weathered, very, very decrepit looking, probably 45-year-old. Okay. He's not getting a lot of, uh, you know, uh, nutrients. He's not sleeping well. Like This is, he looks like uh, the actor in Cape Fear. Um Thank you. He looked like a he looked like Robert De Niro. And you know how they made him look in Cape Fear? Yes. 
Okay, this guy looked like this, only worse. Oh, great. So he looks like probably 30 years older than he is. And he has crazy eyes, like I've done some type of drug, possibly eyes. And he has a uh, Nazi-type Third Reich, like, little cap helmet. Oh, great. Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah. So now I'm picking up all these details, and I'm kind of regretting telling him, him, you know, take it easy, Grandpa. He clearly did not enjoy that. So he uh, yells some profanity, and the light changes. So I don't know what got into me. So I do not let him go first. I kind of pull out in front of him a little bit. After all that, you still decided you were going to challenge this guy. Stupid male testosterone where you don't think you just are like, wait a minute. This is now it's like, you know, 500 BC all of a sudden. So I go in front of him and he's, and he tries, he pulls, tries to pull around me. And I don't know. I don't remember if I flipped him off or just gave him the old F you. Um, thinking that would be a, your typical, just, Hey jerk, you're a jerk. No, you are. And we both drive away. So no, he starts following Michelle and I right on our ass. And I'm like, uh, okay, Michelle, I'm not stopping in front of our house, which is just two blocks down the road. Right. Uh, I don't want this guy to know where we live in case he is like some crazy meth head. Who's going to throw like a fire bomb through our window. So I go past where we're going to turn and I go around the block. And yes, he's definitely following us. He's getting increasingly irate because now Michelle and I are kind of getting a little silly that this giant Harley is following this little 125 Yamaha. So I kind of do a U-turn. Now I'm going down the wrong way, but on the sidewalk, which he can't do on his 800 pound motorcycle. (laughs) But he's trying really hard. So he kind of peels around and does a little like half donut, whatever you do with a motorcycle. And he's coming down the sidewalk. And now I'm back on the street. Now he's back on the street. And I go around the block again. And he is like right on our ass. So I have to do more evasive maneuvers. And now uh, we're actually, I'm kind of getting silly. <laughs> Michelle's like not thrilled. This lunatic is chasing us that I clearly inflamed for no reason. And uh, it took us about maybe 15 minutes to shake this guy. And by shake, I meant he just got tired of. He got tired of chasing you around. Yeah. You know, big, beautiful motorcycle, but you are not catching on city streets and sidewalks and down alleys, a 125 Yamaha, even with two people on it. <laughs> we were much more nimble. Uh, but anyway, it was like from a super relaxing dinner, glass of wine, coming home to chill. All of a sudden, I've incited this, what I thought was a gentle old man that I just was slightly annoyed, was revenant. Now it's just a, a anger-crazed uh, biker gang guy with like teardrop tattoo and a Nazi helmet. And I'm like, this was not a great move on my part. So we made sure he actually drove away. It was like, he's tricking us. Like I'm totally got the Cape fear mindset going. It's like, is it, a, is it a trick? Is De Niro going to watch from down the road and see where we go in? But anyway, we never saw him again. Uh, so that was actually for, you know, half a minute, 45 seconds, legit scary. Like, is this guy going to pull out? Like, can you throw, like, how far can you throw a knife from a, from a motorcycle? <laughs> and, and could he somehow get it into my tire? And as we have a flat tire, then we have to, you know, he's old, but on meth, he's probably faster than me. Oh, wait, definitely. Definitely. And all these thoughts, you know, you kind of, you kind of have all these crazy thoughts, but anyway. I think you and Michelle could have taken him. I, if we had to, Michelle could have taken him. I think you could have taken him. Yeah, Michelle could have definitely taken him. These first two stories 
were simply ways to segue, deadly pun intended, to my legitimately most terrifying vehicle food-related story. Okay. Well, you know, that saves me the trouble of having to intro it. So go right ahead. Well, in, in just the word catering <laughs> generally strikes fear into most cooks and chefs and servers that have had to work in that business. I don't know. If Listen, you've, if you've gone to a wedding, you, you're also f- afraid of the word catering. So, yes. you know, or thrown a wedding or. Right. Exactly. Right. It's always a nightmare. So catering is the most terrifying of all businesses. Uh, whenever I hear like most dangerous, like driving dynamite or it's like, try catering, buddy. <laughs> I'm not impressed with your Navy ceiling. That's like, you got a whole team on your side. Like try, try doing two, get people pulling off a, you know, a box lunch. At a... So anyway, catering is terrifying. Um, so I'm fairly new to San Francisco and I'm working at this, uh, it was a charcuterie slash catering business slash retail store, blah, blah, blah. And the manager tells me there's, they have two caterings that night. He has to split the teams. We're, they're going to cook all the food. They're going to have it in the, in the walk-in at the, at the place. And my job is to show up. They're going to have the van totally packed. Everything's going to be ready. Tell me where the key, how to get the keys. All I have to do is drive the food, the hot boxes, the supplies to this location in San Francisco and uh, then we'll unload it. I'll start cooking and there'll be a couple of other people meeting us there. It's going to be great. They're going to be at this other event. Don't bother them on the other side of town. So I go to I go grab the keys and I go to grab this van. It's right where he said it was going to be. Um, there's only one problem. I get in the van. I start up the van and I realize it is a manual transmission. No, no, you live in San Francisco. That's problematic. It's very problematic. (laughs) If you've not been to San Francisco, we're known for a few things. Uh, And the one thing we're known for that has nothing to do with food or, you know, sourdough or chipino is the hills. Yes. Uh, There is not a flat street in San Francisco. Mm -mm. Uh, There's some that are flatter than others. And there's a, you know, there are a couple. I don't mean that literally, but in general, if you drive more than a quarter mile, you are going to be going up and or down a hill uh, very shortly. Well, let me give you some context on this. Yes. So uh, my first car was a standard transmission car, stick shift. And the first time I drove in San Francisco, I had been a very seasoned standard transmission driver. I drove a stick shift for several years before I had actually driven at all in San Francisco. And I drove a standard, uh, you know, five-speed car in San Francisco and was absolutely terrified. It was the scariest thing I'd, I think I'd ever done at that point. And I was experienced. I had been doing it for years and it was terrifying. I'm, I'm so glad you added that little bit of color to this. <laughs> that will give some, someone the idea of exactly what I was about to feel. So I'm in the van. Now, keep in mind, this is before smartphones. I can't just ring the guy like, hey, can you come back and get the van and let me do the other van? So I am like, I need to get this food and this equipment uh, to this catering across town, uh, or there's going to be some serious issues for me and the company. So I have no choice but to try this. And um, 
so and I, you know, I, I'd been there not too long, but I kind of knew my way around it. San Francisco is a very small city. So if you know the general neighborhood you're going to, you can you can figure it out. Uh, the only problem is there is no way to get there unless, well, really, there was no way to get there. Down Lombard Street. <laughs> the catering was on Russian Hill. Oh, no. Very close to Lombard Street. It wasn't literally on Lombard. Uh, that's funny. Two or three of the steeper hills in San Francisco. Uh, I have to navigate to get to this address. <laughs> now, I, I'm going to say, I, I was going to say I never drove a stick shift in my life. That's not true. I think when I was like 15 or 16, maybe, a friend of mine let me take his beater out in the cornfield and we were just playing around and I sucked at it. I mean, I'm like, I, I'm terrified in a flat cornfield. If you can't wind them, grind them. So Exactly. So, and I have no one with me. I literally was thinking to myself, can I ask someone on the street, do you know how to drive a stick shift? Oh, I will give you 20 bucks to take me. It's only like 10, 15 minutes away. That's how desperate I was. I was wow. actually really thinking that I'm going to have to get out of the van. I'm going to have to stop strangers, which is really an odd conversation starter. Like, excuse me, do you drive a stick shift? <laughs> so, <laughs> but these are like quiet residential street. And so I'm, I'm stuck. I'm going to have to try this. So I fire it up and I, I don't, the only thing I remembered is you got to pull, put, you know, put your foot on the clutch Yep. before you go into gear. And then you got to quickly hit the brake. And then at the same time, give it gas. Otherwise, you will roll backwards into the car. And in San Francisco, people give you maybe three inches of room yeah, in no. your car because they're like, of course, you know how to drive. It's awful. Why would you be on these super steep hills with a giant van if you didn't know how to drive one of these things? Because it's your job. <laughs> so this 15-minute drive must have seemed like it was two and a half hours. And I was just drenched in flop sweat, <laughs> just terrorized and grinding the gears, starting to roll backwards at every stop light or stop sign. It was actually stop signs. Like I said, it was fairly residential. Yeah. And I'd roll back and the car behind would beep. And then they would try to roll back and I'd slam on the brakes and then <laughs> try to get it in gear again. <laughs> I'm not even sure I made it into one of the top gears. Like how many are there? Like four probably. Five, usually. Maybe five. I, I think it was like first and second gear the whole way because I just could not figure it out. Uh, I eventually got there. Uh, things smelled weird. Like, is that a normal thing? Yeah, like, that would be that you burned your clutch. So I, I'm pretty sure that's, thank you. I don't even know the terminology. There was not a smell that's normally associated yeah, with Yeah, you band. burned the clutch. Yeah, that was that was toast. But I pull up and, the, you, you know, they said, you just go right into the client's driveway. Don't worry about parking. So that part was easy. And then I, you know, now I'm debating, do I tell them this story? The van is totally messed up. Yeah, you messed up the van. You don't want to tell them that story. So by the time we had unloaded the van, I didn't really smell too much anymore. And I'm like, you know, it's going to be, it's going to be probably three, three and a half hours before we have to reload it and drive it back. Luckily, one of the dudes that was at the catering, I kind of confided in him. And he's like, you know what? I got you covered. <laughs> I've, driven, I've, driven, I've driven that van before. I'll, I'll, I'll take it back and we'll unload. So that that part ended. It was a happy ending. But that was the most scared. And I'm glad you prefaced it by saying the time you drove, knowing how to drive a stick Knowing shift, how to do it. Yeah. San Francisco was so scary for you. I can never remember being that scared because, you know, what do you do? I'm going to crush into the car behind me. I'm going to be there waiting for police. 
the the my boss is going to just be going nuts when he finds out, which won't be for hours, of course. Right. Some poor person having a wedding or whatever the event was is like, huh? Food would have been nice here. <laughs> I had no consequences driving in that city on those hills, but. The first time I ever went over the precipice of one of those hills and looked down, I was like, this is a roller coaster. This isn't a road. It's crazy. San Francisco is the most fun scooter city in the world. I, have I to, bet. As opposed to Rome, which is, speaking of terrifying. Oh, no, 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 no. Do no, not no. try to rent a scooter in Rome. No, no. Let's take that another step forward. Don't ever drive in Rome. Don't drive in Rome. Don't walk on the sidewalk in Rome. Don't go. Don't You know what? Don't go to Rome. Literally crossing the street in Rome is terrifying. Yes, that's true. So, yes, that was a, that was my literally the most scary uh, food, catering, <laughs> work related, career related episode ever in my life. And I was stuck. I was I was like, should I just call a cab and we'll take the food over one cab load at a time and I'll just pay out of pocket for, and I'm like, well, I don't think I don't have enough money for that. It was before Uber. It was before everything when you, people were supposed to be competent and they just would, could give you an address and you would show up with a van. Like it was, life was simple back then. It was. And everyone knew how to drive stick shift except you. Yeah. This year I would have like, <laughs> same experience. I would have live tweeted it like, oh my God, how do you, how do we get this in gear? Please leave your comment below. The kitchen is scary. It's a scary place. I mean, there's hot oil, sharp knives, potential for fires. There's a lot going on. And I, you know, I've, I probably could tell you half a dozen stories about things that have happened in my kitchen that are scary. But then again, your kitchen is way more interesting than my kitchen. So do you have any of those? Because I'm, I'm curious as to know if you have been as frightened as I have in a working kitchen? Uh, yeah, I'm sure I have. Now I'm going to separate um, debilitating anxiety, which was every minute of my career. <laughs> but we'll put that aside for now. I, I think you're talking about like, like physically frightened of something. Scary. We'll get into the mental health episode later. We'll That's do a that whole later. other episode. That's a definite other episode. Well, actually there's one thing I'll never forget because it was one of my first days on the job at the Carnelian Room. Uh, giant kitchen, giant amount of production, some nights 500 diners easily. Um, and one of the more popular items on the menu was a whole duck that was uh, carved table side. This is how old this story is. Wow. When you when it used to be legal to serve people table side with and flambe things and no one sued people. Well, that's probably not true. But anyway, um, very old school restaurant and the day shift, the lunch shift sometimes would start things cooking, start prep, dinner cooks come in and they finish it. Well, one such uh, item I found out was the roasting of the ducks. Is that something like the running of the bulls? The running of the bulls is way safer than this. Okay, great. As you're about to hear. <laughs> far, far fewer injuries. The roasting of the ducks. Now, in fairness... You're not going to get your testicles skewered on a horn doing this duck thing I'm about to describe. I don't know if I don't even know how to respond to that. I just, you're not I'm supposed sorry. to respond. I'm not. I, I'm just in pain just sitting here. So Thank all you. you're supposed to do is visualize that. Uh, by the way, if that's ever happened to you, let us know on our social media 
so we can, you know, uh, laugh at your expense behind your back. At Chef John Pod on Instagram and Twitter. That's right. Um, see how I worked that in? But it was excellent. It was very well done. We do have some production meetings. <laughs> anyway, so the day the day dudes leave and so-and-so tells me, hey, John, uh, first of all, welcome to the restaurant. We're glad. No, they didn't say that. No one ever talks like that. They hate all new employees. So here's he's like, here's this sucker that can finish my job and I can leave. He's like, the, the roast ducks are in the oven, oven three, four, five, three, three ovens, two shelves each. Um, here's the timer. Timer goes off. You got to uh, rotate the pans. Uh, one on top browns a lot faster. You got to move it to the bottom and so forth. So six pans of duck, rotate when the timer rings, set it for another whatever was hour, take them out. You're good to go. Sounds pretty easy, right? Yeah, yeah. It sounds, sounds really elementary. Now, except for a couple facts. The ovens are like 450 degrees, so hot. Uh, the ducks are in these two-inch high pans. That's not a good thing. Yeah, I can already tell you right now that's a bad thing. It's not a sheet pan, but it's not like a deep pan either. And there are they are packed together. There has to be like six whole ducks in one of these pans. And by now, the oil, the duck fat, which if anyone's cooked duck, know, they know, produce a tremendous amount of fat and grease. And this stuff is like maybe a half inch from the top of the pan by now. So what I have to do with two like damp towels, you know, like there's never any good towels in the kitchen. I got to grab two towels. Uh, fun fact for you amateurs out there, there's no such thing as a pot holder in a kitchen. <laughs> you just use your side towels. Can I add something to that? Yes. And then when those towels are damp, they create steam burns when you grab something out of a hot oven. So yeah, that's really, you You really were just like layering on the, the terrifying. By a certain time in the evening, you're not looking for dry towels. You're just looking for the least damp towels. <laughs> so anyway, so I got a couple decent towels and I'm about to do this move. And, I, and I'm trying to take the one out of the bottom and put it up on top of the range so I can take the one from the top rack and rotate to the bottom. And as I'm doing this, the oil is splattering because now water from the inside of the duck is leaking into it. So it's bubbling, it's popping, it's cracking. And I'm trying to lift it, knowing that if I even tip the pan a little, like a quart of just molten hot duck fat's going <laughs> to into the oven and there's going to be a humongous blaze, like an actual fire that like alarms will come on and the uh, what is that? The flame retardant stuff will start coming down. Oh, yeah, that's that's yeah. I will be fired instantly. So that added to the terror. So I'm balancing these. I don't know what six duck plus all the fat weighs, but it's not light. So I have to rotate these six trays and then put them back in somehow without starting a major fire. Now, I was going to say without burning myself, but that was long ago. Oh, no, forget that. I had at least seven or eight decent size like dime size splatter marks on my arm. Yeah, SF General had like a waiting room just for you. <laughs> so I get them, I get them all rotated, and it's just insanely terrifying. Uh, which was nothing except for the next timer. Uh, now the fat's even higher, and they're done. And I got to get them out without again spilling any fat into the into. The, and then come to find out, we had to do that every day. Like that was like, not like, oh my God, you made it through. Congratulations. 
you've graduated to like, now we're going to let you make the whipped cream. So this was, this was, <laughs> guess what you're doing every day when you come in? Oh, wonderful. Joe starts the duck, you finish the duck. So, uh, and I said, there's no potholders. There, there were a couple gray, um, let's see, what are they called? I don't know. They're like almost elbow length gloves. Yeah. That none of the cooks used, but I think a couple of the dishwashers used to grab hot pans off the line. So I think the actual dishwasher brought them in. So when I saw those, whatever day that after how many days I did this, the hard way. So I'm like, you know what? I, I will be borrowing those. Do you have any scars left over from that? You no, know, I don't. I have one scar left over from that. It's a uh, J-shaped uh, scar on my knuckle uh, for cleaning my knife, setting it up on a rack above me. It started to slip. So, of course, what do you want to do when a knife, you see a knife about to fall? Yeah, go to grab it. Always try to dive and catch it. <laughs> That's just physics. There are things that I know about you as your friend, uh, things that I know really scare you, things that scare Chef John. And there's one that irks me particularly mm -hmm. uh, because I don't get to see you as much as I would like is that Chef John is afraid to fly. Dun, dun, dun. It's true. And it's, it's karma because for the first 30 something years of my life, I made fun of people that were scared to fly. Mm. And I had all the statistics and the struck by lightning and the, you know, uh, and then can't explain it. Didn't happen all of a sudden, gradually. Uh, and right now I have a very hard time getting on a plane. Um, so over the last, you know, 12, 15 years or so. Um, and when it really got noticeable and bad, I don't know if you've ever, have you ever flown uh, through the Rocky Mountains? Yes, of course. Yes. So you're familiar with the uh, Aspen Food and Wine, mm -hmm. one of the big, big events in the country for that kind of thing. Yep. I was invited one year and you fly into Denver. And, uh, and again, I just had started my flying insanity and, uh, but I was still okay to do it. I was terrified, but I would do it to get free food and wine. <laughs> <laughs> um, life's a compromise. So what I didn't know, though, is you have to fly into Denver. You, oh, you don't fly right into Aspen on a big old jet. You fly into Denver on a normal plane that are only slightly terrifying. And then you get on this little tiny shuttle plane, like where there's just two rows of people. Oh, yeah. And you fly from Denver to Aspen, like several times below the mountain, like between mountains. Oh, great. If you ever think you've experienced turbulence, like normal flying turbulence, like, oh, that was kind of scary, really shaken. That is nothing compared to this shuttle going through the mountain passes on the way de descending into Aspen. It is like you swear to God, the plane is just going to be shaken apart and you're just going to evaporate uh, into the atmosphere. <laughs> so I, I mean, I've never been that scared on a plane in my life. And I think the nickname for that shuttle, if you'll pardon the expression, they call it the vomit rocket. Oh, great. Because it's such a famously difficult, uh, make you sick uh, trip. So I, I put up with that. So that might have been one of the things that kind of put me over the edge on I don't want to ever be this terrified voluntarily 
So I will just stay in San Francisco and people can come visit me. (laughs) The follow-up to this story, which is, you know, just desserts. I got invited back the next year to go to the Aspen food wine. Very nice. Very appreciative. Um, So I'm like, you know what? I will fly into Denver, but there's no way I'm taking the vomit rocket into Aspen. I will take, I, I researched it. They have a van, a shuttle van. Probably takes a little longer, but that seems a little more less terrifying. Uh, unfortunately, that was even worse <laughs> because I also get carsick. Oh, great! And you do not want to drive those windy roads from Denver to Aspen in a very shaky, jumpy, bouncing around van. That trip must have taken three hours. I don't know how long it really took. Maybe it did take three hours, but it was so bad and so uncomfortable. And I was so nauseous. I was thinking if I get invited next year, I think I might fly. Really? I might get back on the rocket because that's how car sick I was. So I basically outsmarted myself and it was like, you know, make up, make up your mind, which dysfunction are you going to deal with uh, first? (laughs) So damned if you do damned, if you don't. Um, but no, the van shuttle was no, was no solution to my problem. Uh, and then I moved on from the media freeloader lifestyle and did not ever go back to Aspen. Uh, so anyway, that was my most scary flight. And I sort of blame that for now disappointing my friends and family on a regular (laughs) basis that I can't, uh, you know, cowboy up and, and take us, take a few, uh, Drink a few Manhattans and get on a plane like a normal person. The 747 to JFK is not that bad from SFO. Come on. So we learned a lot about your fears today on our Halloween episode. What else did we learn today, John? Well, I think what we learned is uh, there are no actual ghosts in Norfolk. Okay. Did I just swear accidentally? In Norfolk. There are no ghosts. Uh, if you want to ride a Segway, great, but you're not going to see any ghosts or haunted houses that are really haunted. Okay. If anyone gives you the keys to their van, uh, first of all, that's very sketchy. But if they do and they want you to deliver something, find out if it's manual or automatic transmission. Excellent. We learned that if you can avoid it, try not to get the job of uh, rotating duck, roasting whole ducks in a restaurant oven. That is not a fun job and extremely terrifying. Dangerous. There's no good way to get from Denver to Aspen. Zero. I haven't tried the walking. That would be the only other alternative. Or a scum style. And then the last thing I think we learned, uh, which I think is just great advice, especially if your kids are listening, never talk stuff to someone on a Harley. Whether they look 70, whether they look 20, just let them rev their engine let them go around you. Do not, under any circumstances, call them grandpa. It's probably a good idea. So, yeah. So hopefully that's some helpful advice. And uh, I mean, I feel like that was a master class. A master class in fear, fear avoidance. And uh, what's scary is not knowing how to end this podcast. I, I agree. So I'm just going to say, say goodnight, Andrew. Good night, Andrew. Good night, Andrew.